If you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open uh, with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, again, you can follow along with the insert found in your bulletin. For the next few weeks, we're going to be setting aside uh, our study of the letter of James, and we're going to be planting ourselves here in the book of Hebrews, specifically in Hebrews chapter 1. And the reason that we're here is because it is the season of Advent. It's the season when we focus our hearts on His coming, that is the coming of Jesus. And there are lots of ways that we can, lots of ways that we have over the years done this. We've looked and focused at the, uh, the birth narratives of Jesus, the famous stories of the shepherds, of the wise men. We've looked at the songs that were sung in anticipation of this Messiah born to the Jews. We talked about how the Old Testament pointed forward and anticipated the coming of the Christ, and we've talked about the characters that make up Jesus' genealogy and the family tree. Well, this month, for these next three weeks of Advent, I want to focus on the coming of Jesus by focusing on how His coming fulfilled the three offices of Israel, the office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. Now, this is far from arbitrary, and I want to establish that at the very outset, this very first week that we're diving in to this threefold series. The Reformational theologian John Calvin wrote that this threefold understanding of Jesus was one of the best ways for us to understand His redemptive work. Our historic catechisms agree. We're, we're Presbyterians. We have a heritage. We have catechisms, helpful summations of what the Bible teaches. And if we look in the Westminster Larger Catechism written in the 17th century, we hear this, why was our mediator called Christ? Our mediator was called Christ because He was anointed with the Holy Ghost above measure and so set apart and fully furnished with all authority and ability to execute the offices of prophet priest, and king in the estate both of His humiliation, His incarnation, and His exaltation. The Heidelberg Catechism, uh, another historic confession, fleshes this out in even greater detail. Let me read question and answer 31. Why is He called Christ, meaning anointed? Because He has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God, our only high priest who has set us free by the one sacrifice of His body, and our eternal King who governs us by His Word and His Spirit. Now, lest you think this is mere historical or theological musing, We have this clear testimony from Revelation 
1.5. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the earth. Brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus came to do. to be prophet, priest, and king. This is what He is doing now. And this is why the incarnation that we meditate and focus our thoughts and our attention on this month and this season, it's why the incarnation was necessary. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to unpack these three things from Hebrews chapter 1. Now, we can't, we won't say all that can be said. That's the case for everything, isn't it? But I pray that we will say enough, that I will say enough, where we can marvel again upon the person and work of Jesus, where we can wonder at the grace of the incarnation of God being made flesh for us, and that we will therefore be moved to follow Him more wholeheartedly. This is more than just theological reflection. This is life. This is His life. This is our lives. And so listen as I follow along. Listen and follow along as I read. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through the beginning of verse 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things and through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You and I live in a world, in an age not just of unprecedented information, which we've talked about several times before, but also in an age of unprecedented communication. Right, our technology, Ed and I were having a conversation, Pastor Ed, when we took the boxes to Sacred Road a couple weeks ago. We were having a conversation about the way we communicate and the fact that our communication today was once the stuff of futuristic cartoons. I remember watching Jetsons reruns as a boy and being in awe of the video phone that sat in their living room and enabled them to talk to people a world away. Now, they sit on our desks and we Skype. They rest in our palms and we FaceTime. And it's wonderful. Sure, it has its 
downsides, but it's wonderful. It's, it's beautiful. Why? Because we need to hear from one another, and we need to be heard. We are wired for relationship. We are wired for communication. No man is an island, John Donne penned hundreds of years ago. And most of all, as creatures, as frail flesh and bone, we need to hear from our Creator. We need to hear from our Maker. And for that, there is no FaceTime yet, but there are words clearly and plainly spoken. And that's what this passage is about, and that's what the first office of Christ is about. Three realities that I want us to see and meditate on for the next few moments, and the, next, the first one is this, long ago, God spoke. Long ago, God spoke. First thing I want to establish this morning is that God is not simply an idea, an idea to be considered, nor is God something that is detached from His creation. No, the God of the Bible, the God that we worship, is a God, a personal being that communicates. He always has and He always will communicate. He created us for relationship. We need to hear from Him. We need to be heard by Him. And of course, I know that for many of us this is an obvious point that I'm making, but it's not so obvious for the rest of the world, is it? For those that say there is no God, for those that say God is dead, but we say no. Long ago, God spoke. And I'm not speaking of the, the speaking of creation, which we could talk about. I'm speaking of that before man's rebellion, before his fall in the garden, God Himself, the Creator of all things, walked and talked and fellowshiped with His treasured possession, the man and the woman. But things changed, didn't they? Adam and Eve heard God's Word, and yet they refused God's Word. They chose instead to believe the lies of the evil one. Sin entered the world, and now we as His creatures struggle to hear Him. His voice remains loud. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they declare knowledge. There is no voice, excuse me, there is no language where their voice is not heard. Long ago, God spoke. 
But even more than that voice, that voice we hear in creation, in Isaiah 45, we're reminded that for generations upon generations, to a tiny ethnic people of no consequence, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, entered into relationship with them and declared, I am your God, you are my people. Here I am, this is the way. Long ago, God spoke. But in their sin, Israel struggled to hear Him. And so what did God do? God sent them prophets. Ah, now we're getting to Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Moses, Samuel, Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, the list goes on and on and on. This is how he spoke long ago. These men, to a people of God, the nation of Israel, these men were God's mouthpieces. These men were God's megaphones. To a people struggling amidst all the noise of their world to hear the voice of their Creator. And so, for over a thousand years, the writer to the Hebrews reminds us God spoke in various ways to His people through these men. And we've talked before about the prophets. Jeff did a great sermon this summer in my absence speaking about the prophetic office. There's much we could say about it, but for our purposes this morning, I want us to understand and consider three things about the prophets, about this speaking of God long ago through the prophets. Three things. First of all, these men were called by God. They were called by God. This wasn't a glamorous calling. These men were not not jumping at the opportunity, me, 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 can I be a prophet, Lord? Theirs wasn't a popular position. These were men chosen and sent by God wasn't popular because many of them suffered, some of them died, but the calling of God was specific and it was profound. Moses saw a burning bush and he had to take his shoes off because the ground that he walked was holy. He pled his inadequacy for the task and the Lord wouldn't have anything to do with it. Isaiah was given a vision of the holiness of God, of the throne room of God, and it undid him. Jeremiah pled his youth and his inability to be articulate, and the Lord said, I am with you. Jonah, we all know about Jonah. Jonah tried to run, and the Lord chased him down. So these men were called by God, reluctantly called by God, but they obeyed, and they obeyed with 
a message from God. And that's the second thing I want us to consider. They, they obeyed with a message from God through various ways, sometimes audibly, sometimes through dreams and visions. God communicated to His servants what He wanted His people to hear and to understand. And these prophets would in turn speak to God's people. Sometimes they'd speak directly to the king. Sometimes they'd speak directly to the rulers. Sometimes they'd speak directly to God's people's enemies. Sometimes they'd shout in the streets of the cities. And sometimes through vivid theatrical displays, they would show what God was going to do. These vivid sign acts. Isaiah was told to walk around naked for three years. The crazy prophet walked around with no clothes on for three years to show the fate of the people of Cush and Egypt that they would be carted off by the nation of Assyria. Hosea married a prostitute because God told him to as a picture of God's faithfulness to a nation that constantly was looking for other lovers. Jeremiah was told to buy pottery just so he could take it and bust it and break it before God's people in order that they might see that they too were going to be broken. Too often God's people needed to see their sin. They needed to be called to repentance. Other times they needed to hear of impending judgment and the promise of forgiveness. You see, these men with the message from God, I've used the phrase before, these were covenant prosecutors, covenant lawyers, God's people had entered into relationship with Yahweh, and they weren't holding up their end of the bargain, and so God sent His prophets long ago to speak and to prosecute. And so, much of the Old Testament is this very thing, the will of God for His people, how He calls them to live through the voice of the prophets, all of it revealing the grace and the patience of Yahweh. So they were called by God, they came with a message from God, and they were, lastly, accompanied by signs. It's the last thing I want us to consider this morning as we think about Hebrews 1. See, we don't just listen to anybody, right? We, we listen to those with the authority to speak. Show me your badge, and then I'll let you talk to me that way. God's prophets were at times given the ability by God to do wondrous things. We read in 1 Kings 17, Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And you know what happened? It didn't rain. And then later in the same chapter, Elijah does something even more incredible. He stretches himself out on the sun, the dead body of a widow. He prays to the Lord, and the life of the child returns. 
Verse 24 of 1 Kings 17 says, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. You see, lest the people disregard the message that God was speaking, God validated it through means that were otherworldly. And so these three things, called by God with a message from God, verified by the wonders of God, were part of what the prophetic office of the Old Testament consisted of. Long ago, God spoke through the prophets. But this was never a long-term solution. This was never to be the forever plan. God always has been on a mission, and here we go. God's always been on a mission to allow us to come closer to Him. In Deuteronomy 18, way before these men came on the scene, God said this to Moses, I will raise up for them, my people, a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. More than just the line of prophets to come, the prophet that's promised here had God's very words in his mouth, and so the people waited, and the people hoped, and the people anticipated, and then finally, and here's the second truth, in these last days he has spoken. Long ago, God spoke. In these last days, He has spoken. Speaking again of advances in communication, some of you in your lifetimes have seen the world go from phone booths on the corner to a phone in every house to a mobile phone in most cars to now cell phones in our pockets. And yet with all these advances in our ability to audibly communicate with those that we love, there is nothing like face-to-face. There's nothing like being together. And the writer to the Hebrews declares to his readers that through the incarnation, through the baby being born in a stable, Jesus is the face-to-face that our hearts have longed for and that God had promised for thousands of years. So in these last days, God has spoken through His Son. Some thought that Jesus had just come to to pick up the mantle of Elijah, to pick up the mantle of all the other prophets, to be that, that mouthpiece, that megaphone from God. Some religions still believe this. But Jesus, the entire book of Hebrews, is about Jesus being more than just a prophet in a long line of prophets. He is more than God's people could have ever imagined. He is the final word. 
A new age of communication had dawned. The fullness of the Old Testament prophets and all that they lacked as mere shadows of what was to come now had arrived in the true prophet of the Lord, Jesus himself. God has spoken finally and fully. There's nothing more to come. There's nothing more needed. And so how is he different? How is he better? How is he superior? That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. But let's talk about just those three categories that we went through just a moment ago concerning what a prophet is about. Number one, a prophet is called by God. In contrast to the prophets of old, those who struggled to step up to God's call, the Lord Jesus, before time began in what we understand to be the covenant of redemption, in the counsel of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus willingly undertook the responsibility to redeem those whom the Father desired to call through the giving up of His glory and the humiliation of human flesh. This Word that was present in and through creation, this Word that was present throughout the Old Testament, this Word would become flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. This was no ordinary call. This was a divine appointment like no other. What about his message? What about his message? Well, like the prophets of old, Jesus spoke God's word with truth, with authority. That's why he was accused and suspected to be a prophet in the line of prophets. But in John 14, we learn that his words were more than mediated words. His words were the Father's words, and His life was itself the message, the Word incarnate. John 14, 6, 7, and 9, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, You do know Him, and you have seen Him. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We love reading about the dreams and about the visions that the Old Testament prophets saw as they were revealed, as the message of God was revealed to them. But all those dreams and all those visions were were insufficient to communicate with His people. Through the incarnation, God has given us Himself. It's not just a message from God. We see Him. We hear Him. This is why Jesus is the true prophet, the final prophet. There can be no other. Hebrews 1 Verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. Colossians 1, He is the image of the invisible God. 
And so if the Old Testament is the record that we have of God speaking through the prophets, then the New Testament, the historical accounts of Jesus, the theological reflections on what His life means, the instructions on how we are to live in these days, this is God's last and perfect Word. So that's the message. But how does the final prophet, Jesus, how does He trump the last aspect of what we talked about, the signs? Oh, here it's where the final prophet has exceeded them all. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. He prayed to God, and God caused it not to rain. Jesus spoke directly to the waves, and they stopped. Elijah laid on that boy, and he prayed, and he cried that God would save him. God spoke. Jesus spoke to Jairus' daughter, and she came back to life. He called Lazarus' name, and Lazarus walked out of the tomb. And how about all those sign acts? Jeremiah busting pottery, Isaiah walking around naked. Well, Jesus' entire life is a sign act. The incarnation, the crucifixion displayed the lengths that He would go through for His people, and the resurrection validated everything that He said He was about and everything that He said He had come to do. In these last days, God has spoken through His Son. He is still speaking through His Son. That's the good news. Well, one last truth for us to consider and then we'll be done. It's simply this. If God has spoken long ago through the prophets, if God has spoken through His Son, Jesus, what does that mean for us? Well, it means this, God calls you to speak. God calls you to speak. Well, actually, He first calls you to, to listen. Matthew 17, Jesus is revealing His divine glory through this incredible event that we know of as the transfiguration. And His friends, His close friends are there, and they hear this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Peter, one of the guys who was there, would reflect on this in a letter that he wrote years later, and he'd say this, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone else's interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What this means is that the testimony of all those whom Jesus walked with, of all those who saw Jesus' resurrected body, demands our attention. Question and answer 43 of the Westminster Larger. 
How does Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executes the office of a prophet and is revealing to the church in all ages by His Spirit the whole will of God in all things concerning their edification and salvation. Long ago, God spoke. God has spoken through His Son. And we have the voice of God here. And just like when you're on a plane and you're sitting in the exit row, and the flight attendant demands that you look at him or her and say, yes, I understand. So the Lord, when He speaks, demands that we respond, that we say, yes, we understand. We have listened. And so what this means that we're called to, I think, as we rejoice in God speaking to us of old and through His Son, is it calls us to prophetic lives. We're to be prophets, small p. That's a soft p, prophet. But we're to be lives that speak life to those around us, words that are attested to by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of love and life that lives inside of us. That's the implication of Jesus, the final prophet, coming to us. He showed us how to do it. Now he says, walk in it. Philip Ryken, who's the president of Wheaton College, did a series of lectures, and uh, they're now in book form, but he was speaking about how some of the characters in the beloved Lord of Rings trilogy coincide with Jesus' offices of prophet, priest, and king. And I love what he says about Gandalf. Forgive, forgive me, those of you who have no idea about the story of Lord of Rings. But he says this, and I think it speaks to us. Like Gandalf, the prophet saw the world as it actually was. He came as the emissary of the true king and brought words of vision and words of wisdom, courage and hope to a constituency who for so many reasons could not see. The prophet brought the aroma of life to a world overcome with the stench of death. This is the joy and the privilege that we have as the church. This is what's going on right now. As the word is proclaimed from this pulpit, we are acknowledging Jesus' prophetic office. We are acknowledging Jesus as the true and final prophet. As we go out from this place into the world, we go ready to say, God has spoken in His Son, and He still speaks today. Listen to Him and live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this sure word. We thank you that you who have spoken flesh to bone, 
and blood into arteries. You who spoke the green on the trees and the blue in the sky, that You, Creator of all that is, have not left Your creation, but to the contrary, You have entered in through the person and work of Jesus. And You are still speaking through, through Him, through the testimony of Him, through His servants, through, through us. Father, we rejoice in this fact and we ask for grace to walk in it, that it might matter in our lives, that it might matter in this season of reflection, of waiting, of anticipation. Take Your Word and plant it deep, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.